Hey, dear Lord, we just thank you for this time together. We just ask you to be with us as we um, talk about what we're going to talk about today as we look at the text. Lord, I just ask you to be with each man that um, that his heart would spring forth and, and give uh, um, things that are constructive to the conversation. And Lord, I just ask you that you'd open our minds and our hearts and just um, teach us this morning, guide us this morning encourage us this morning lord and we just um we thank you for all that you do we don't always understand your ways but um but we know over a course of time that they are they're they're loving they're trustful trusting faithful and good that you're always guiding us as a good father and so lord we just um give ourselves to you this morning we give our mind our heart um and we just um thank you that uh that you care uh, care about us and watch us and lead us in God. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, did anybody do? Uh, we in in uh, the Hebrews five eleven to to six twelve. Did anybody uh, do a little research this week and kind of prepare your heart? Anybody got any open thoughts? I've, I've read through it, Dennis, and it's um, again. This is probably one of the more challenging um, passages this morning. If if you're not um, if you're not reading it in context of the whole book and, and scripture, if you just kind of read this, this little section, it can, it can be pretty challenging, uh, not given the context. We'll start this morning, um, with Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. Um, and, and I kind of, just to kind of have some, some breakdown, um, keywords, I just, I call it maturity, knowledge, experience, fruit, and future. And so we'll look at the, this maturity section and I'll just read four verses real quick um in 511 it says about this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing for though by the time you ought though by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of god you need milk not solid food for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to dis- distinguish good from evil. Um, so when he starts off in verse 11, about this, we have much to say. Um, if you look one verse up, it says in verse 10, being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Um, it's 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 as if this intermission here he's um he's he's built some some blocks of his conversation he wants to say and at some point he he gets to the point he's like they're not getting this this is getting too complicated for them but this is important i'm not gonna stop i'm not gonna just derail and just i've got to get them past this and um and so we see this intermission here where he has to call time out and he has to uh address um address the, the his his audience um i think this first part it's so important as you move forward through the rest of the passage i think it's so important to just take a moment and realize what kind of people he's talking to and um some people um you really get two basic ideas one people are adamant that these people are saved um and and that's not too far fetched. You you surely can see that um, as the potential for them to be saved, and even the author is communicating that. Um, but I would ask the question at least in this audience he's talking to, and I don't know to what degree we thought we a lot of times try to go back to the original audience. But but if I write a letter and I send it to a if I send it to Lafayette, you know, some people over in Lafayette, there's no telling. Who could read that letter in the in the future? Um, you know, it could go viral. Well, I'm sure the first century church wasn't thinking about um, what they say going viral, their video going viral. But I, I think anytime you write a letter, even if you wrote a letter to send it to your neighbor across the street, there's no telling who would see that. So I think to some degree, you got to, you know, people that would say, um, everybody that the audience was writing to was saved or, or, or if he was writing to an audience that um, was completely not saved, I think 
you can't really conclude that. So I think just like anything, when a pastor steps up to preach a service on Sunday morning or whatever, you have to include, conclude that there could be someone in the audience that is not saved. But you would think that on church on Sunday morning, there's got to be somebody that is saved. So um, that's just some framework. But but you got to look at this crowd in this this particular um, set of texts. Um, what kind of people were they? And then what is he calling us to? So the reason I, I, I titled this section maturity is because one thing that he's doing, if we forget about the grander scheme and zoom into this little section, one thing he's specifically giving us as a little block, as a little nugget here, is that the, the picture of what an immature believer looks like, what he acts and what he does, and then what a mature one does. And in, in general, he's saying an immature is always on milk and doesn't really get off, and that's unnatural. And then a mature believer is one. I love the way, I don't know what versions y'all reading, but I, I'm reading in the ESV, and I compared a few of them. And um, I, I love the way this particular version says it. It says um, in verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, or, 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 or what I'm about to talk about with Melchizedek is for the, the real men of, of faith. Um, and he says, for those, this is the way it says it. It says, for those who have their have their powers of discernment. Like I don't think any other one uses that word discernment, but he says they have their power of discernment, meaning that they've considered um, the the matter enough, and they've kind of prayed over it, they've kind of mulled over it, pondered over it until they could distinguish in their in their spirit what is the right thing. So they discern, train by constant practice. Constant practice meaning that they didn't just give it a once-over. Um, they, they really got in and, and said, okay, this is what I initially think, but other people think this. And, and um, as I think about it a little bit more, I kind of settled down on this, that the discernment, constant practice, that, that from that they became to distinguish good and evil and that this type of person can handle me. Um, and then at this point of the study that we're at, you know, at any point in time when we hear things and we're not really getting it or we're not really feeling it, we can say to ourselves, do I really need to know this? Is this really for me? And, um, and I think that the author paints this text that this, this item of Melchizedek, and I did read one commentary that said that that would have not even been a normal conversation for a Jew, Jewish, a Jew, uh, I'll try to Judaism, someone that's a student of Judaism, whatever that would be called, um, that 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 the Melchizedek language would have not been normal for them. If you would have brought up Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, that would have fit in their wheelhouse. But this would have been a new teaching, you know, for them too. Um, so, so anyway, he's saying that making this connection is really important. I'm not going to back down. We are going to get back to this. But for right now, I need to talk to you because you're not even fully understanding what I've said about angels and Moses and the rebellion and this kind of thing. So I'm going to shut up with that little bit of introduction um, and, and, you know, with 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 maturity and the milk and the uh, and all that. What, what do you guys see there in that section of the text? Kind of a, put on your big boy pants. Uh, kind of put on your big boy pants. Kind of a little rebuttal, I guess. Yeah, I agree with that. You hit it. You hit it with um, knowing knowing the audience. I can tell you, re reading through Hebrews and looking at several passages, it makes you feel like he is just speaking to Christians. But Dennis, I think you did a good job of any any given church, and even even the bigger, the more so. That if if the pastor's delivering a sermon, delivering a message, he's he's got to realize that even though everybody's associated there under a building with a cross in it, and that doesn't make you a Christian. So I, I think that his audience here, he's he's starting to talk to maybe people in that group who were were associated, you know, with Christ, but but weren't Christians yet. Right. Yeah, the thing that I was going to point out was, you know, there is a certain 
spiritual journey that goes along no different than I think all of us have had kids. So, you know, they, they're born, we take care of them. They are in diapers. They're, they're growing up, but there comes a point in time where they're no longer on milk. They're no longer pooping in their pants, if you will. There's just some certain <laughs> things along with maturity that like there's some expectations and, and the same is true in the spiritual life or the, your Christian life, you know, and we, we got to be careful as that when someone first gets saved, that we don't have those too high of expectations for them um, in a sense, but over time there has to be some expectations. Right. And I think um, just like the author says here, but um, by this time you're and yet we gotta, we gotta get you back in diapers and back on the milk again to kind of teach you the elementary principles of the thing faith you know so there there's a there's a spiritual journey that's associated with it and I, I, I like the analogy of just um crawl walk and run you know you don't expect a baby to come out um wide open and go running all around i'm getting a message that my internet's unstable so i'm not sure if y'all are hearing me okay you still got you okay good yeah. um but yeah i think there's a there's a spiritual maturity that comes over time i don't frame is maybe it's different for everyone um but there comes a point certainly and i i definitely think the main audience although there might have been some peripherals but i think the main audience here is to believers you know and uh, i guess we'll set the stage for the the more troubling verses that are that are coming up that how do how do we address those but for for these um i definitely believe that the audience believers and probably some seasoned believers that should be that should be further along than they they really are and i think that's what he's addressing what, what are your thoughts yeah. on uh I, you know I, believers or unbelievers i do you guys all agree that he's talking to a jewish audience that those that should have known the oracles of god that knew the teachings of the old testament etc yeah, cause Mike, I'm with you on that when it says for for though by this time you ought to be teachers. I'm the next passages that are coming up is is um, if he's still addressing the same audiences, um, it, it becomes problematic to to look through and and see okay are they Christians or not Christians at this point. I think um, yeah. I, I read I read a couple of commentaries and I know some of y'all have the Warren Wearsby one. That's one of the ones he gave four different lines of thought on it but uh i have to agree with him starting in four and i'm you know reading from king james and niv but he's got once enlightened tasted the heavenly gifts shared in the holy spirit tasted the goodness of the word his opinion is that those uh verbs that he used there are um are definitely addressing uh people that are christians and saved but he gives he gives you know some different options of how it could uh, not not necessarily he agrees with he kind of kind of hinted at what he agrees with the most but he gave I think four different options of uh, lines of thought on those verses but I have to agree with him on there you know the, the wordage that the author uses there it would seem to me that he's talking and addressing people who 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 are saved. If you could fall okay. into those categories and not be saved. Well, let's let's finish this section before we get to that. That's section three. We'll come back to you. Um, but at, look at this one line real quick. We have much to say, and it is hard to explain. And then the Bosley say it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Have you ever found yourself or other people in your Christian pilgrimage? that at different phases they become it be, this description of them becoming dull of hearing have you seen that to be where they were maybe once teachable but then they become un, unteachable yeah, yeah. i think i've seen that i think i've seen that in my own life you know is that you know we've all heard it said that especially in the in the spirituality if you're not moving forward then you're probably regressing and going backwards you know so I think there's there's times there's been that in my life for sure that where where my hearing was much better 
not my physical hearing, but my spiritual hearing was much better at times than, you know, at other times. So um, I think the more you word, the more you're praying and, you know, fellowshipping with God, the more your senses are, are to the things of God. And when you, when you, um, some of those things and it becomes not a, as much of a priority, then you can certainly become dull of hearing. All right. And I, th I thought that was some interesting, I, I, I thought through that interesting that you can become dull of hearing, but also by being faithful, your earring can be, um, I don't know what their best word would be, but it could be open to you. You become a, you, you hear that you're like, Oh, I've read that a thousand times, but I have it, you know, I have it both hearing and seeing, um, you, you start to say, man, oh, that makes sense. Um, so, um, uh, why don't you, Mike, if you don't mind, or I, I, I'll get it. Um, let's see, Hebrews six, one through one through three. We'll, we'll look at that real quick. Um, therefore let us leave elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again, a foundation, um, of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, and of instruction about washing and laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. I like, we, we should almost have that clause a lot of times, and this we will do if God permits, but what we see here in this text, um, I guess um, at the end of verse 6 and, and in verse 2, is um, I saw one person break this down in, um, and two group, uh, three groups of pairs. So you have repentance and faith, which is more kind of related at the level of you and God. Um, the washing of, of uh, the baptisms or the washing, the laying of hands is more of church um, type of a realm, things that you're doing with um, other believers. And then uh, resurrection and, and eternal life is more uh, of what is going to happen, you know, in the end. Um, at, at Christ's return and those kind of things. And so these are three different stages that he's saying there's basic truths that we should just know in that. Um, but as you know, I don't think this is an, is meant to be an exhaustive list. Um, I know I've seen people come to this text alone without considering the whole book of Hebrews. And I've, I've seen um, sometimes there's what I guess you would call spiritual pride where uh where this this view of maturity of being adult can be um falsely proclaimed by people in the church uh maybe like in the in the in the gospels you see like some of the religious leaders are falsely are, are uh, um uh, uh, claiming a maturity um you see where they're kind of lording it over um the the people that well we know this and y'all don't know that this kind of thing but but getting the right understanding of of repentance and faith, your relationship towards God, um, and all these these three groups of things, these six things, all these are important. Um, one of the things, if you look at the first one, um, repentance from dead works, I think that was one of the unique things about this list. I read a few little things that were kind of insightful. Um, it, it says that that language is not really used anywhere else. And so he just asked, you know, what is dead works? Um, I think about in Matthew 7, 21 to 24, where he says, away from me, you, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Um, one version says that what they did was unauthorized. Last week we read where it says, unless God builds a house, you labor in vain. So dead works would be works that do not, um, you store your tre treasures up in heaven where Roth, rust and moth will not destroy. So there's a certain investment of work energy that we can do that doesn't um, benefit us in, in the eternal. Um, so I thought that was a, a neat deal. Of course, uh, you know, some of it, it was a little more more complicated with washing and laying hands. What's he's really saying there? Um, but of, of course, with resurrection and judgment, one of the things I thought was interesting is that some people at this time would debate whether there really was a resurrection, you know, like the Sadducees thought you just kind of died and went in the grave. Um, but if, if there's anything like, um, some of the Mormon and, um, you know, some of the Mormon and seven day Adventists think of that in different ways, but they, some of them feel like God wouldn't send 
uh, a loving God wouldn't send people to hell um, or, or there's annihilation that we just, you know, at some point in time just exist no more and only the people that were saved go. But but what I'm getting at is that we do believe that there is a resurrection and he's calling that a basic um, idea. And we do believe that there's a judgment, um, two different types of judgment, judgment, whether you, you're, the sheep and the goats are separated uh, from heaven and hell, but also where people are, are we, we usually have an idea that people would be punished and rewarded based on um, how what kind of steward they were in this life and how they did with what God um, said. So I guess I spent too much time on that, but just um, real quick, what do you think about those six things? Um, our elementary doctrine. What do you? What do you? What's your thoughts there? Yeah, I've never heard. I've, I'll go ahead, Mike. No, I was just going to say uh, I've never heard them classified the three ways that you did, which I think is very, very useful. You know, kind of the past, the present, and the future. The past being, you know, repentance from dead works. The present, the things that we experience in church, and and the future, the future judgment. So that's. That's a pretty interesting um, perspective, and I thought I actually like that framework, so I think it helps out. And these these first two verses, Dennis, I I'm I'm looking back at the at the purpose that Hebrew Hebrews was written to show that that Christianity is greater than Judaism, that that Christ is is better um, than than the old way. So whenever I read this list. Um, the laying the foundation of repentance from dead works, the sacrificial system, um, instruction about washing, all of the ceremonial washings of Judaism, the laying on of hands where they had to lay their hands on the sacrifice so that the sins would be transmitted to the animal, the resurrection of the dead. They had some idea of, of a next life, um, even in Job, uh, it's, it's mentioned there, and then eternal judgment. There's a they had the um. Um, you know, the evil will be judged, the, the righteous will be blessed, but those were all dim, dimmer pictures until you get to, to, to the cross and Christ and, and Christianity. So I, to me, I see it as a list of Old Testament um, uh, doctrines that, that he's saying, let us leave these elementary doctrines of the Old Testament. And um, now that we have the fullness of Christ, that's, that's how I'm reading this, these first couple verses. Okay. Well, get, I was going to say one other thing, but as I'm thinking through what you're saying, um, it might be clarification. It might be a second way of looking at it. Is the word in verse one? It sort of in, ends and it says, "Not laying again a foundation." So I don't think he. So I, I do think the author's goal is to leave Judaism for Christianity and to not turn back to Judaism. I, I think that's surely a goal. But I think when you're talking about these ideas. I think he's when he's saying not laying again a foundation of these things. Um, I think he's talking about moving from the foundation to building the house. And the reason I would say that is some thoughts I've had um, in in um, in chapter three of Hebrews three one through six. He's talked about Moses, and he gives us a description that Moses was faithful as a servant, and Christ was faithful as a son. And so the the more I've thought about this. Um, we, that, that text in Galatians um, 3, 15 to 4, 6 is important because it addresses that in this way. Um, he, he, he uses that language where um, before we, you know, came to the age that the father had, had, had accepted uh, that the father set, we were, we, even though we were sons, we were, um, we even I'm trying to get all this right. Um, even that, that we were sons, we were no better than a servant because we didn't have those those freedoms. Um, but when we came of age, so when we look at the cross and say in Christ said it was finished and then the inauguration of the new covenant, the implications that has on everybody, both before the cross and then at the cross and, and then on is that what one of the things that Christ finished, and we talk about the, the veil being torn from top to bottom and him entering into the holy place, not in a replica or a shadow of a holy place in the temple here on earth, but in the temple in the in the heavenly and him becoming the high priest. In all this fulfillment, we are now at that time becoming sons and daughters, children 
of God. So if we come back to the text of what you're saying, um, essentially all that I was thinking about it in this way, well, I don't want to get too complicated, but essentially all they were able to do was maintain the foundation in the waiting for, for God to send his Messiah, his Christ. But when this came now, when the new covenant is inaugurated, now we are enabled, we are liberated to build the house in a way that they never could under the old covenant. Um, so, so I think, um, I guess that was my simple point of adding to what you said is I think what he's directing with these general, you know, ideas here is, you know, and he just had talked about maturity and getting off of milk. I think the, the physical reality of moving from milk to, to, uh, to meat and to teaching and to moving on to what God has for us in the new covenant is actually building a house for God and, and not like a temple like Solomon, but, but the church as we've come to know for, for 2000 years, um, I'll shut up with that. I might've been diving off in, <laughs> into the swamp. <laughs> I'll be the peacemaker between y'all two right now. So, uh, I, I think y'all are both right. You know, just my perspective on things is, um, Jeff, I see what you're saying, but I, I don't think that, that, those foundational principles were completely gone away. They were just completely fulfilled in Christ, if that makes sense, you know? And um, so as, as Dennis was, was thinking about the foundation, I was like, where's that verse, you know? So um, uh, this is Ephesians 2.20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself as, is the chief cornerstone. So, you know, it's not that we've completely done away with those things, but the fulfillment of him is, is he was built on not only the apostles, but also on those prophets. So for thousands of years, this, this story's been told, and that has been the foundation for which uh, everything is now being built. Yeah. So you're, you're saying the, the foundation of the apostles is the, is the same as kind of this foundation of repentance from dead works and, and faith toward God? Yeah, I think the the foundation of everything that's been laid, you know, all those Old Testament rituals, they wasn't in vain in the sense, but but they were they were a foreshadow of things they're, which they're were to pointing. come. Yeah, they're pointing to the to the Messiah that's coming. You know, you know, hindsight twenty twenty, right? We can look back and see that those things were important, but but they were repentance from dead works in a sense in the Old Testament, but ultimately the fulfillment of all that is was pointing to a savior and that now we repent and turn to, to him to a sacrificial system. So if, if we didn't have these pictures in the old Testament of the, the ceremonial cleansing, the, um, the, the sacrifice, the sacrificing of all the different animals, if that were never instituted, would people understand what this cleansing and the sacrifice even means when Christ came and fulfilled it? There, there wouldn't be anything to fulfill. So it's kind of like bringing, bringing from the old covenant to the new covenant. Explained well. Yeah. 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 But so in the same way, you have to use what he said, your, your ability to discern, you know, in, in the first maturity part, but you, what, what is passed away and done away with, like other sacrifices of goats and sheep and what was a a of a, a, a shadow to be or a promise to be fulfilled so you have both of those concepts going and you got and maybe that's why it's difficult to explain because they they, they weren't there you know as as milk drinkers to um to see that so all right any keith you ain't said anything you got any thoughts brewing up over there or before we move in, before we dive into the, you good, you said. So I'm just going to, as as we dive in four to six, I'll, I'll of course read it, and then I'll point out um, maybe the five um, little blocks in, in the text, um, and, and we'll unpack it. So in first four, it says, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened and who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word uh, of God and the power of the ages to come, 
and then have fallen away to be restored again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. So when you break this down initially, um, if you if you look at the meat of it, it's got these these descriptions and um, who have once been enlightened. So he, he's describing a group of people. Now, the, the way I look at this is if you keep it closely connected to the beginning where he says you are on milk, um, you know, you know, you need to get get moving. You know, you should be teaching others. If we had, um, if we looked at Christian maturity as a, as a baby teenager and an adult, um, it would be my opinion that an adult would be easier to be confident. A, an adult Christian would be easier to be confident in that they are truly saved than a baby. A baby is just starting to respond different and act different. And um, and we've all seen people. Um, that have kind of come and been positive to Christ, and then they went away from us. And John says they went away from us because they were not of us. Um, I, I brought um, into this um, in, in the text thread a little bit to consider um, the parable of the souls, because you see some people where the word is kind of shared with them, and then they're sort of distracted, and then the word never produces no fruit. But, but there's two groups of people, the second group and the third group, that receive it with joy, and then, um, and what happens is that when they don't, they don't ever make root. They kind of stay on milk, and they don't ever make root. So when the the sun comes out and begins to dry up the area, that persecution, they fall away, is the language they use there. Where another, the third group of people, actually, it says that the cares of this world, thorns, um, choke it out, um, and they fall away. So. To me, in a in a in an understanding of the perseverance of the of the saints, which is misunderstood um, sometimes, I don't see how you can stay true to the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints and see the second and the third group to be saved because it clearly says in the text of the parable soul that they do fall away. So if you think those are saved, you have to do it on a basis other than the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And as I listen to the argument uh, or the discussion over this text, what I find is it really comes down to what maybe I would call, what, how high is your view of salvation? Um, when a person is saved, what really happened there? And I, I tend to believe that, that it, and that's what I was able to narrow it down, is this issue with the, the souls. If you can read the text, of the souls and see that one fell away for this reason and one fell away for that reason. And then you say to yourself that that just meant they fell away from being fruitful. And then it gets to the text of at the end, it says, but one fell on good soul and they were fruitful 30, 60, a hundred full. Then, then you're, you're double fruit fruitfulness talking, if that makes any sense. You're saying, well, this is one kind of fruit and this is another kind of fruit. So, so one of the things in your consideration about perseverance of saints and deciding how you accept that, one of the thoughts, how you accept that or how you think of that affects what you think about those souls. And so it also affects what you think enduring to the end is. So if, if you see that what the, so I'll bring up the word born again or regeneration or new birth. Um, new creation, those languages, um, taking away a stony heart and giving you a new heart that desires to do the will of God. So if, if you've had an experience where you've been born again and God put his Holy Spirit in you and all of a sudden you're like, hey, I'm a new creation. I feel different. I act different. The way you process things are, are different. What will that, what does that mean to you? What, what does that ultimately do for you over the course of time? And so under what I believe under a perseverance of saints doctrine is what that is saying is that, that, that you've been put, I, I thought of a word I, I said last week, an imperishable seed has been invested in you by God himself. And what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you in your perseverance and your endurance? 
Um, and, and so what people have not come on their own accord or their human wisdom to say about the perseverance of the saints. So when, when someone says, if they fell away, they were never of us, or if they fell away, they were never really saved. And then other people say, well, how could you say that? Well, I think the answer in that is not a, a um, logical one, but it's a spiritual one. And it says that, that I've wanted to run from God before. I had ran from God, but I couldn't continue to run from God. And why is that? Because there was an imperishable seed in me that I couldn't be comfortable in the world. Once I got saved, I couldn't be comfortable in the world any longer. Um, so getting getting back to the text and, and, and saying those things in framework, um, I, you know, I would agree, even from my point of view that I've kind of stated a little bit, I can see where anyone with logical reason would read this text and see these things and say, this is describing a 100% true, clear believer in Christ. But when you look at the pet, the text in, 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 a, in a whole and, and after it, if you break this whole passage in three parts, he said, he said, you were on milk. You're still having to learn the basic ele elementary doctrine. And then he goes to what I kind of dub a little bit as, as, as what can be perceived as super Christians. Because if you go through this list, he says, they have been enlightened. So one way we could say is enlightened is that we, we were blind and we could not see. So the work of the Holy Spirit was done. So when, when, um, when Jesus said that about um, Peter and he said, he said, you are the son of God. He said, this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood. You could be talking about that. Um, I, I did hear some, some lighter versions of that where people justified their belief by saying um, it was a different type of enlightenment. But, but I can surely see where if, if you say uh, you've been enlightened and that means your eyes have been opened, you once was blind, but now you see you've tasted the heavenly gift. What is that heavenly gift? That could be the Holy Spirit living in you, which I just talked about as an imperishable seed. Um, and, share, and, and then he goes here, he said, and shared in the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, people will say, well, does that share? Was that just an outwardly share where the Holy Spirit was knocking on their heart? Or was it actually inside them? and tasted the goodness of the word of God, like, you know, that sounds pretty, um, and the power of the ages to come, and have fallen away, so then we come back to this fallen away, so surely all these things, um, we could take these things, and we could talk about it as being a believer, and say, if I said, hey guys, um, I have been enlightened by the Lord, my eyes have been opened to his truths, um, man, the Holy Spirit is burning within me and I'm falling in love with the word of God. If I've said things like that and that wasn't, you know, true to me, surely you would say God's doing a mighty work in his, in his life. But even if that's fully what he said, which he could be saying, I guess the way I look at the text is, uh, how can the, how can the author go from your own milk and he's, you know, he, he both before and after this text talks to them like they are very young Christians. And so when he gives this very enlightened, you know, perspective, this, this perfection, I just feel like to me, and I'll, I'll shut up and let you guys give your, your, your point on it. I feel like that, that he's talking almost adult Christian language, like sort of a robbed Christian language or something or, or the, or the beauty of it. But he's also talking to an audience that doesn't understand the basic elementary, you know, um, ideas of the gospel. So I'll shut up with that and see, see where y'all at, how you, how you think, if you agree or disagree. Did I just make it cloudy? <laughs> It was already cloudy before, so. I'm uh, I'm of the camp that these these individuals aren't saved. They're not saved. That that's kind of how I've I've studied it and read it. Um, that word enlightened isn't isn't salvation. 
salvation language is he's not he didn't say he had once been justified um once been sanctified or brought in it's it's enlightened i um you know when jesus came into the world he was the light of the world people saw him people saw the the incarnate god um in a sense they they were enlightened to the works that he was doing they could see the works that he was doing um it says that they shared in the Holy Spirit. I think the King James says they were partakers of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I've heard that word interpreted as association with the, the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say they were indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that they weren't sealed by the Holy Spirit, but, but they were associated with the Holy Spirit and the works that were being done and all the miracles that the Jew, remember Jesus came specifically to the Jews first and did all of his miraculous healings and works to the jews so hebrews was written to this crowd of people he said he came to you that you were enlightened you saw the works that were being done um you tasted the goodness of the word of god when, when jesus was talking to the woman at well and john four he said if you knew the gift of god and who is who is, is saying that to you give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living living water I think that the, the Jews primarily were the the Messiah came to them first and they've they were associated with the Holy Spirit in the sense that they saw all the works that were being done um, at that time. That that's how I mean I'm I'm reading it. I know um, it's a very difficult passage. Um, that's that's kind of where I've landed. What, I'm curious to hear what how you guys have um, wrestled with these these verses. I'll jump in. I don't know if Paul's going to give all four of his points that he, he read or not, but um, so I'm of the camp that he's still talking to believers. So, um, and I think, and although this is a very difficult passage, I think it is a hypothetical situation is, is the way that I interpret this. So um, if you read it from the perspective um, in verse four, where it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and just stop right there. And he uses a comma, then he, he lists several things, which I believe are attributed to someone who is saved. So, so just leaving a comma there. And then verse six, it says, if they fall away. So it's impossible for those who were once enlightened to fall away. And he goes on to say, the only way to bring them back is to crucify Christ again. So I, th I think what he's doing is painting a picture that if someone's saved and they lose their salvation, the only way to bring them back is to crucify Christ again. So it's, it's this hypothetical situation that he is painting to not to question someone's salvation, but to reassure their salvation, if that makes sense. And I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, and I, I appreciate you bringing up that's in, in all the commentaries. That's one of the things that gets beat up. But I appreciate you 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 cashing your vote for a hypothetical. Um, I think that that's what makes sense because I don't see how he's he's describing one group or the other. He he doesn't. I don't feel like he's pointing that at this audience. What he's what what we can see he's pointing is when he says you're on milk and um you need to be on meat or or you know in the next part not jumping too far ahead but he does and you know in the next part in verse nine he says yet in your case beloved we feel sure of better things and then he actually at the end he says be but be imit uh, where's where's he said and we just he says and we desire each one of you to show the same earnest to have full assurance of the hope. So he's, if you break that down slowly, he's, he's saying we're eager or in, hopeful that you will find more assurance because he's saying that in on milk, you don't really have no assurance. And so, you know, I think you've got to kind of reconcile that. It's odd for, for the author that clearly sees these people as baby Christians. And I like the way Mike called, talked about it with the diapers, bringing the diapers, spiritual diapers into it. He, 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 he feels like he's talking to an audience that, that needs some diaper changes, some spiritual diaper changes. 
and to assert these other things on there. Um, I guess I've said too much about it. We'll let Paul jump in. Uh, but I appreciate you saying that about the hypothetical. And, and I know what Jeff said, the camp of not saved. I think, to be fair, we can't honestly say that the audience knew that, that everyone he was writing to was 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 Christians or that everyone he was writing to was not saved. I don't I don't think he makes that determination. And um and I think every let me clarify my, my point on that. I'm not saying that that he's speaking specifically to a group of non-believers, just like a pastor would in our sermon and our sermons in church today address a a group of what he would think are mostly Christians, but he would understand that there are people in the crowd that aren't Christians, like you said in the beginning. No who's the audience here um and i do think that this is a warning to to those that that have seen all the miraculous works of god and everything that that um you know you've you've witnessed all of these things and if you walk away from that if you remain dull in your hearing then there's a there's a warning for that so i yeah i don't think it's he's only talking to non-believers or he's only describing you know believers all right all right, Paul, jump in. What, what you, what's your thoughts? If I kind of fall, uh, you know, more in line with where Mike falls. And, um, and, and the reason is because, you know, I'm not sure this letter went to Jerusalem or how many different cities it went to, but we know that Hebrews was written to um, um, Judeo former Jewish or Hebrew believers that have now started to follow Christ. And we know that they're under a great persecution, a lot of them are start, starting to fall back in their old ways. All right. So I grew up in the Catholic church and I didn't start going to a Protestant church until I was 32 years old. So I, for 32 years, I was raised with a kind of a works mentality, um, the Catholic church ritual mentality. And so as, uh, you know, the Lord started working on me in a sanctification process. I started, you know, understanding sanctification in, in a different way than what I was drilled in my head growing up in the Catholic church. So I can kind of relate to what some of these Hebrews, Jewish people went through, you know, their whole, their whole life and for generations and generations being trained in this ritualistic uh, uh, system and you know, a works almost type system, a law system. And so, so since this letter is basically written to Jews, Jewish Christians that are struggling of breaking away from those old ritualistic systems and starting to fall back into them in a sense, um, I think that the majority, I think that obviously there's gonna be some non-believers that are gonna hear the letter too. Um, they just got invited to the, to the house the first time or something. But I think the words he used there, and, and most of the letters here are for believers. He's not really sharing the gospel message, per se, on here, even though he, he does some hints of it. Um, but I think um, he's saying, like when it gets to the part where he says, um, if they fall away, possibly brought back to repentance because to their loss, they're crucified, crucifying the Son of God over and over again. Now, any time that I fall back or slip back into some of my ways of being a Catholic, you know, thinking, you know, my salvation even has a, even a hint of it um, has to do a work or anything, I'm in a sense crucifying Christ again, you know. So I think that's what he's kind of saying here is if you, if you do fall back in, in, into some of these ways that some of you guys, some of you Hebrews are starting to fall back into what you're doing is – basically crucifying Christ again and you can't turn or repent from the world and, and the self and the fallen while you're in the act of crucifying Christ again and again. So I think it's, you know, kind of uh, hypothetical, but he's also kind of telling, telling them you can't turn to the light and, and be hundred percent, you know, be right with God and do these and be trying to do these rituals and things from the old Jewish law again and again, because as you do those things, you're just crucifying Christ again and again. And it's impossible to 
repent, which means to turn away 108, you know, opposite direction from where you're going. It's impossible to turn away toward God and away from the world and the flesh if you're still trying to do these rituals again and again and crucifying Christ again and again. So as long as you're in the act of trying to do these useless, useless dead rituals, it's impossible to, to turn completely, you know, toward Jesus Christ. I guess that's kind of where, where I fall. Yeah. Yes, you know. That's that's good. Um, I, 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 I summed that little argument up and I mentioned it last week is, it's just remember Lot's wife and another, another sort of picture. I don't know where I got this. Cause I don't think it's actually in the text, but in John, 316 before that is 14 and 15 and he talks about Moses and the bronze serpent looking up and for some reason I've always that Sodom and Gomorrah destruction I've always looked and remember Lot's wife looking back um, in the in the picture with the bronze serpent um, people were were looking back at the snakes and they were not looking at at um, at the the provision God had made of the bronze serpent which Christ attests as himself being lifted up on a cross and so I think this um, this not going back is an important theme, and, and and that was good how you shared it with Catholicism that you basically are been trained up and developed like what he talked about in the first part maturity. You're trained up to develop a certain pattern, and then when you find that that pattern is wrong or that it's not what's best for you, it's not really the way God you know you've lost the like so much of what Jesus did was um, dealt with people that had got the, the wrong intent of the scripture and he had to clarify that. Um, and so this idea of the fulfillment coming um, and the shadows not needed at any anymore. Um, I think again, and again, this idea of not falling back, not going back. And I think you've, you've a couple of weeks in a row, Paul spoke to that, that clearly and, and made that as a reminder that uh, that that you know we he even talked about in chapter three about them longing to go back to Egypt uh, would would I think be a, a equivalent parallel to what they're wrestling with here here they're not trying to go back to Egypt but they're trying to go back to the old system um, you know so a, a new covenant has come and there's been an enlightenment of the that that hey the the fulfillment we've been waiting for has actually arrived. And they've tasted some of that, but yet now they're still wanting to go back to Egypt, wanting to go back to what feels comfortable and normal. Um, any, Keith, you got anything? You still hanging tight there? Hanging tight. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> You're like, these guys are in there. <laughs> I'll say this, though, that, uh, you know, there there are a lot of people that use this this passage for you can lose your salvation. And um, just one one quick thing on that, if they if they use this for, um, yes, you can lose your salvation. The fact that it's impossible to restore them to repentance again is pretty scary. Meaning if you lose it, you can't get it back. I was actually going to bring that up. Mm. Okay. I, I, I was just going to say, you know, you know, I've talked to a lot of people that believe they can lose their salvation, but when you when you drill down into that and say, well, have you ever lost your salvation? And and it's almost that you know, there's there's a couple of different camps out there. Um, you know, the only way to do that to be restored again is to crucify Christ again. You know, so if if you have the ability to lose your salvation, then the only remedy for that is to to crucify him again and you know, bring him back to open shame because there was only one sacrifice that was worthy of, of restoring us back to God. And that was the one completed work at the cross, you know. So, um, you know, I guess what I'm saying is there's people will say that, but they don't want to look at the the solution for restoring them back. And the only way to restore them back is to crucify Christ again, you know? So they, I, I personally believe that a lot of times people use the losing of salvation in order to control people, you know, that churches will do it so that they can keep their quote unquote, their flock. 
Um, but, you know, whenever you can truly rest in the assurance that the work is complete and what Christ has done for us, and it's no longer based on works, it's no longer based on what we can do, but it's based on what he's done for us. I think it, it gives us a liberty. And, you know, I love, I love the passage that says that says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom or there's liberty. And, and I think that's that's one thing that the church has really struggled with is is really walking in the liberty that we, we tr truly do have in Christ. He paid a great price for that liberty. And I don't think we've experienced it like we should because of um, churches in many, any, many cases trying to control. You know. Yeah, thank you. Good, good discussion. Um, the uh, you know I, I think there, there's a lot of varieties there that no one can fully picture but if but if I had tied into this I think we can maybe agree that 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 they're baby Christians and so that would mean that a lot of them are saved but they're baby Christians and that possibly that in verses four to six that he was hypothetically talking to baby Christians that if you ever grow up and this happens and do this thing you're not going to be restored. Um, and, 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 but, I, but I think his overall picture is he's encouraging them to grow up in Christ and, um, and not to neglect this great salvation that's been given. He starts off with do not neglect it, do not drift away. Um, and, and I think he sees a stumbling block here that as he's fixing to move into Melchizedek and the explaining of um, the, the, how Christ becomes a high praise and the, and the perfect sacrifice as he's trying to explain that, which he believes is he's going to be an anchor for their soul that's going to keep them from being tossed through and, and, and to and fro by everyone in the doctrine. Because one, one person said, why, if, it, if they were unsaved, why did he just um, share the gospel with them right here? Why is he talking about all this, this um, religious priestly language? And I think what the author is addressing here is that this is the fundamental struggle that they have. Paul talked a little bit of that about his Catholic background and, and how that affects his reading of this text. I think that's a true deal that, that they were, they were, they were being bogged down of what they'd been taught for years and they're being asked to confidently and boldly um, with move from, from that, that old system to a fulfilled new system and that they're having a hard time. And so he sees that as their biggest problem and he's, he's addressing it. So um, Mike, you feel like closing us in prayer? Okay, I'm sorry, Paul. Go ahead. No, I was just saying what the, the pause here at the end of chapter five and chapter six is like he start like you said last week, he starts on Melchizedek and, he, and, and, Paul, and the author of here, whoever it is, says, look, they really need to get this. So he pauses for one chapter clears the air and kind of gets their the slate clean their minds set up all right now i'm kicking back in to this important message that you need to and let's get all this fog out of the way get your minds on what i'm thinking and then he jumps back into what he had started in chapter you know chapter uh five, four and five early five so. Father, we just thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for a time where we could come together uh, just as a group of men and um, talk about a, probably one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament, Lord. And although we may have different views, I thank you that we can come together and, and sharpen one another. But um, Lord, I thank you for just the overall theme throughout your word is that you're a, you're a covenant-keeping God and you keep your promises. And um, I thank you that... Um, somehow, some way, what, what we've uh, been entrusted with, this great salvation, Lord, we're just, we're just believing and trusting that you, you are the keeper of that, and it's not up to us, Lord. And um, I just thank you for so many examples throughout Scripture of, of, of those that, although they may have um, made poor choices and done some, some bad things, Lord, that um, somehow even those um, showed up in the Hebrews Hall of Fame, the faith hall of fame in, in Hebrews 11, Lord. So I just thank you that, um, that you're, you're the great keeper of, of salvation. You're the initiator. You're, you're the anchor of, of our salvation, Lord. And I just pray that you through this group, Lord, would just continue to work in us, um, firm up our salvation, help us to trust you like never before, Lord. I thank you for these men. I thank you for their, their families. I thank you for what they represent. 
And so, Father, we just pray that you would just continue to encourage us. I do pray for for Jeff's um, church, Lord, that you would just um, do a mighty work there. God, I pray that um, you would show up and show off. I pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment of, of um, how to how to fix the problems at, at hand. And um, I thank you for uh, just Shane's testimony yesterday of what he saw um, in the in a group of men that came together and, and, and did something. And who knows, God, maybe you have a, a group of men down there um, where Jeff is that just need to see a church come together like never before and be the hands and feet of Jesus, Lord. So we just we just pray for for um, their local church that they would rise up and uh, be a be a good example for the, the community there of of what it means to be um, followers of you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey guys, you have a good day. Um, Jeff, I was going to tell you, I, I did think about when David wanted to build a temple, God said, I never asked y'all to build me a building. So that, that made me think about, you know, we, we have certain, um, you know, perspectives in our mind of, of, of what the church is, but it ain't a building, you know, yeah. it can be in a house. It can be in a, it'd be a zoom call. It could be in a restaurant. It, we're going to be, we're going to be outside in a parking lot today. And it's going to, it's still going to be church and it's still going to be sweet. So, yeah. So y'all have a good day. I'll see you next All week. Right. Thanks, Thanks guys. Yeah. So long.